The Lord be with you. I loved this story when I was a kid. Right? The idea of 12-year-old Jesus amazing all the teachers in the temple with his understanding and his answers. I love that story because I was that 12-year-old kid. Yeah? I was the kid who would sit in the very front row at school and always have my hand raised every time the teacher asked a question. I was the kid who, during lunch, would try to crash the teacher's lounge so I could keep talking to the teachers about all the answers I had. When I found out that pastors got together once a week to talk about the scriptures and figure out what they were going to preach on, as a teenager, I went and crashed those Bible studies to tell the pastors what they should preach on on Sunday. And it served me well, having all these answers. And I must have had the right answers because the adults kept listening to me. It served me well in college, having the right answers. It served me well in seminary, having the right answers. It served me well when I went before the bishop for ordination to have the right answers. And then I became a pastor. And my first congregation was a congregation in Brooklyn, and they asked me to teach first communion classes to the children, to little seven-year-olds. And I said, well, that'll be easy because I've got all the answers. And so I started off by what every seven-year-old wants to know, which is the Greek etymology of the word Eucharist. <laughs> it was chaos, I will tell you. That's not the etymology. It means Thanksgiving. But it was chaos in the classroom, yes? In particular, there was this one child named Delby. And you know, troublemaker is a harsh term, yeah? But Delby had this habit of drawing attention to himself. And in particular, every time I would try to get the class's attention by saying everyone, Delby apparently had learned in school a refrain that his teachers used to get people's attention. And, and so whenever I would say everyone, he would say, everybody clap your hands. And he would, of course, get everyone's attention by doing this. So after the first class didn't go well, I thought, okay, for the second one, I'm really going to get these kids' attention by explaining to them the theological throwdown fight between Reformed Catholic and Lutherans about the nature of Christ in the Eucharist. Once again, as I tried to get everybody's attention, I would hear Delby say, everybody, clap your hands. And I lost the whole class. So for the third one, I said, okay, clearly I need to frame this in a way that will connect more with young children. I thought, okay, you know, we're in this building built in 1884 with just beautiful, dark, uh, hardwood carvings and furniture throughout. And these, this wood is carved with beautiful symbolism. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them walk through the church. And as we walk through the church, I'll have them look and they can touch and see the different symbols about our faith carved into the church. Right? It's interactive. It gets them moving. This will totally work. And so that's what we did. We wandered around the church, up and down the stairwells. And as I was pointing out these different things to them, I was delighted that I did not hear Delby clapping his hands at all. I figured, wow, he must be really listening to what I'm telling him. And I looked down, and what Delby has done is he has found a thumbtack from a bulletin board, and he has began to use the thumbtack to carve into that historic antique wood of the church is scratching and scratching and scratching and I want to strangle this kid. And I think to myself, what is going wrong? I have 
all the right answers. And I wonder if this isn't how Mary and Joseph must have felt just a little bit in the story we hear from the Gospel today. Because Mary and Joseph have the ultimate answer, right? They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They know what their calling is to protect and raise this child in the ways of God. And so they do what they are supposed to do. They take Jesus to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival of the Passover. And for some context, from Nazareth, where they're living, to Jerusalem is 90 miles. It's like walking from here to Sacramento, except, you know, Jerusalem is kind of on the top of a mountain, so if, like, Sacramento was also on top of the Sutter Buttes, right? That's, that's what they're doing. And they're doing it not because it's easy. They're doing it because it's the right thing to do. This is how you raise your child right in the right faith. And admittedly, it's probably hard, you know, because they go with a whole group of people, and you got children and elderly folks all walking together, but they do a whole week of, of pilgrimage and religious festivals in Jerusalem, and then they have to pack everyone up and start walking back those 90 miles. And a day into it, they realize Jesus is missing. And it takes them a whole day to realize Jesus is missing. And it occurs to me that Mary and Joseph are so focused on doing their religion right that they've lost track of Jesus. They're so focused on doing their religion right, they've lost track of Jesus. Not only do they lose track of him for a full day, but once they realize they've lost track of Jesus, they don't know where to find him. They search for him for three more days looking for Jesus. And it occurs to me that that is the case with so many of us. We get so focused on doing religion right that we can lose track of Jesus ourselves. And I want to be clear when I say we get so focused on doing religion right, I don't just mean the religion of coming to church, but certainly that. Religion is whatever we do religiously. Or as Martin Luther says, your God is whatever you Fear, trust, and love. And we can make a religion of so many things, right? I made a religion out of always having the right answer in school. Melise, in her sermon last Sunday, talked about making a religion out of having her job be the palace where everything was perfect. We can make a religion out of having all the right answers to today's social issues, and we can make a religion out of raising our family in exactly the right way. But whatever we make our religion, we can get so focused on doing it right that eventually we realize something is wrong. That we are in fact missing the thing that matters most in life. And when Mary and Joseph finally realize that they're missing the thing that matters most in life, eventually they find Jesus in the temple. And he's there amongst all the, the teachers all the great scholars of his day, and he's listening to them and talking with them, and they're listening and talking to him, and they're amazed at his answers. But when Mary sees this, she comes up to Jesus and she says, why have you treated like us like this? We're so anxious looking for you. And Jesus' response is to say, well, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And 
on a certain level, you say, oh, okay, fine, Jesus. Yes, of course, you're in God's house because you're God's son. We should have looked for you in God's house. (laughs) But where is that? Because here's the thing, that temple where Mary and Joseph found Jesus, it hasn't existed for 2,000 years. Romans turned it into rubble. So where is God's house now? And that question is actually the very heart of the theological debate about communion that I was trying to teach those little children so many years ago. And now I'm going to teach it to you in hopes that you actually listen, yes? All right. So in one corner, we've got the heavyweight Protestant champion Martin Luther, Lutheran tradition from Germany. And on the other corner, we've got Ulrich Zwingli, Reformed Swiss theologian, yeah, the up-and-coming rival. All right. So these two guys, they've come to meet together to see if the the Lutherans in Germany and the Reformed in Swiss can get together and be friends. And they talk about all sorts of things, and they agree on basically everything, except when it comes to communion. Because Zwingli says, well, Luther, we agree that the Roman Catholics are silly with their transubstantiation, right? That the the bread and wine somehow magically become Jesus' body and blood and are no longer bread and wine. And Luther says, yeah, yeah, that seems... That seems a little over the top. And Zwingli says, well, good, good, because obviously it's just a metaphor, right? Jesus isn't really in the bread and the wine. At which point, Luther has a double take. And he literally takes out his knife and and carves into the table in front of him, this is my body. Jesus said it, I believe it, that's it. And Zwingli says, but Luther, the Bible and the creeds, Say that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. If Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, how can he be in our bread? To which Luther responds, Zwingli, where is God's right hand? Is it in a cloud somewhere? No, Zwingli, God's right hand is wherever God is at work, wherever God's power is felt, which is to say, everywhere. God's right hand was in the bush that burned to speak to Moses. God's right hand was in the rock that Moses struck to bring forth water for the Israelites in the desert. Christ was in each of those places also, but we could not see him. And so that we might not grow blindly behind every bush and under every rock, Jesus gives us this promise, Wingley, that we will know for certain he is there physically present with us. And the breaking of bread, and the pouring of water, and baptism. Not because these are somehow magical transformations, but because Jesus is everywhere. And yet, that we might have the assurance that he is there in those places, he gives us a promise attached to those things. The promise of his word. For he is the word. Not just the Bible, which is just paper and ink, but Jesus is the living word, the message of God's love come to life. And in the sacraments, we can touch that word. We can taste that word. We can feel that word wash over us. It is there given to us, but Jesus also tells us that when we share that word with one another, when we treat one another with love, then we find him that he is there with us everywhere because God's house is everywhere. So we can never be lost 
We can never be apart from him, for he is always with us. That's what Luther tries to explain to Zwingli, and it's what I was trying to explain to my confirmation students. But I got so wrapped up in trying to explain the theology of it all that I had missed out living Christ in that explanation to them. And so it was up to those children to explain the message that I was trying to teach to them. And I realized this when after that third communion class, I went back to check to see the damage that Delby had done to that antique church furniture. And I took a picture of what he defiled our church with, and I have it to share with you today. He carved, God hearts you. I had been so wrapped up in trying to teach Delby the theology of communion that I had completely lost track of Jesus. But while I was focused on the right answers of my religion, Delby had found Jesus for me. Paul writes to the Corinthians, God shows what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in this world, the things that are not, to reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. As a child, I had so many adults who were willing to listen to me and hear my answers, and I thought that what made me valuable as a person was having those right answers. But in a child, God reminded me that the only answer that I really need is Jesus. That he is the answer that sets us right. And he is not a theology textbook. He's not a list of creeds. He is a relationship, a person of love to be shared with one another. And that's where we encounter him. I thought that all those adults had listened to me as a kid because I had the right answers. And what I have come to realize is all those adults listened to me as a kid because they knew the answer was Jesus. And they knew they could find Jesus by loving this little kid who wanted more than anything to be heard. Friends, I don't know what answers you're clinging to in order to be right. What religion you're working to make sure everything goes the way it's supposed to. But I know this. There is only one answer that you need. And it is Jesus. He is God's wisdom and our righteousness, our sanctification in this world. And Jesus, he is with you, wherever you are. If you have struggles seeing him, then break bread and share it with someone. Then pour out water over one another. Then tell someone you love them or listen to a child. And there you will see Jesus, no matter where you are. Because no matter where you are, 
you are in your Father's house. Amen.